Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing? Hi, Grant. I'm very well indeed. And yourself? I'm doing very well for a Friday afternoon after a very long week. Yes, yes. Well, I kind of think that every week is long, but, you know, that's probably <laughs> not the right attitude. Uh, today, we're going to talk taste and flavour. We're going to talk about what consumers are doing and, and the, in terms of the latest trends and what flavours and uh, beverages and you name it are doing at this point in time. So when you're going to talk about tastes and flavour, well, you've got to go to the experts. And this time we've gone to the experts at one of the big global players, Kerry. We're joined by Emma Stride, the Business Development Director of Taste for Kerry Australia and New Zealand. Hi, Emma. Hi, Kim. How are you? Very well. And we're joined by Ali Farid, the Commercial Director for Food and Beverage for Kerry ANZ. Welcome, Ali. Hi, Kim. Hi, Grant. Thanks for having me. Ali, I think you might actually have like some sort of like my ideal job, I think. But anyway, <laughs> we should more. also... We should also take note that today is International Donut Day and I ate two donuts just to mark that. So I've done my bit. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> which, is, which is such a good intro, isn't it? That's um, your excuse. You're sticking with it. We know. It sure is. It sure <laughs> is. Uh, which is a great lead in, Emma, to the research that Kerry has recently been carrying out in Australia for its Sensibly Sweet campaign. Can you tell us a bit more about what that is and what, what – what some of the findings have been? Yeah, I absolutely can do. Thank you, Kim. Um, our research in Australia reveals some interesting findings about consumer preferences and attitudes towards sugar reduction. We know that sugar reduction is not new to Australia. In reality, we have seen reduced sugar alternatives from our brands for more than the last 10 years. However, over that time, consumers have experienced both positive and negative experiences. Many a product has failed, and at the end of the day, that is due to one key thing, uh, that is taste. You know, taste is king. And from our research, we discovered that Australian consumers are divided into three categories. The first group, the taste chasers. They represent about 40% of the population. And for them, taste is paramount. They lead a non-restrictive lifestyle without prioritising sugar reduction and they're not likely to follow a specific diet. The second Goodness. group that we've seen <laughs> is reduced sugar seekers, and they represent 48%. Now, these individuals prioritise their health and wellness and are keen on reducing sugar in their food and drink. And then lastly, we have the zero sugar advocates, making up 12% of the Australian population. And these individuals live a healthy lifestyle. They're very conscious about their weight management and they eliminate sugar wherever they can. And these are the guys that follow the really strict diets. <laughs> so, yeah. so perhaps, yeah, <laughs> not us. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably gave I probably uh, I probably gave some of those that that crowd just an absolute heart attack before. <laughs> and and the taste chasers are probably now like have made me their honorary, you know, um, chairperson. Exactly, exactly. Uh, that's really interesting. I'm really that's really interesting that I wouldn't have thought that it would have been that high for the no sugar, really hardcore. I'm 
I'm blocking it out sort of contingent. So that's yeah, no, no, that's it, quite interesting. When you add those two together, it, it is quite a high high percentage. So, but you know, I, I mean, I guess our research showed that Australian consumers love that taste of sugar, um, mm. but they want to reduce their intake for sort of health reasons and to make those better life choices. You know, they are concerned about the artificial solutions that are used to replace sugar. And they are asking for natural ingredients. Um, in fact, 84% of consumers are looking to reduce their sugar intake to lead that healthier lifestyle. They understand that sugar is bad for our health. And it's about 62% of Australians that actually review the ingredient labels of food and drink at the point of purchase in the supermarket. So right. it's, it is quite a high number. It is. And that's showing a consumer that's becoming a lot more um, informed as well about you know the the foods and the beverages that they're eating and drinking. That we're we're all starting to look at that nutritional pan- panel and go, oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And the, and and taste remains a primary driver of our sugar consumption. Sixty um, percent mm. of Australian consumers believe that sugar makes food and beverages taste great. So you know, whilst we've had those diet and zero products on our shelves for many years. Um, the majority of those are artificially sweetened. But from our research, Australians desire natural sweeteners. Um, It's actually 69% of them are preferring them. And interestingly, honey was their number one choice. But, you know, we all know that from a food processor perspective. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is, is this a little bit like, you know, salt is salt? And it can be pink and flaky or it can be, you know, out of your plastic, you know, home brand shaker and Mm. it's salt. These pantry, yeah, pantry type ingredients. Yeah. I'm not eating refined sugar. I'm using maple syrup and honey and you go, mm. That's right. Is that sort of a similar thing that that's, that's how it's, that's the case that there's that misnomer out there? It yeah. is. But I think, and also the consumer doesn't realise that from a food processor perspective that, you know, that's extremely challenging and physically sort of impossible to deliver the desired amount of sweetness to, yeah. to achieve, you know, a great tasting product in that case. So, you know, I, I guess that's the, that is the challenge there. But it actually emerged that stevia um, is actually the third most preferred sweetener, both globally and also locally in Australia. So, in fact, 60% of global consumers are familiar with stevia and consider it to be a natural source. Right. So allowing it to actually be the top choice for zero calorie sweetener. And, you know, stevia has evolved over the years. So, like I said, there's been a lot of products that have failed over the time. But, you know, whilst it was known in the perhaps in the last few years for its bitter sort of anisic aftertaste. That's right, yeah. Yeah, we now have access to a wide range of sort of stevia qualities. Um, but it's important to note that some of those high-performing stevia varieties that we have nowadays can also be extremely expensive. And so, therefore, the cost, you know, outweighs um, the, the benefit. Um, and that's where really Kerry can help. So our current taste sense range um, offers an affordable alternative to sugar and stevia. And the range that we have supports sweetness optimization closer to sugar and well beyond sort of the three big bricks uh, sucrose sweetness equivalents um, when it, ha- it delivers optimized flavor and better mouthfeel um, and reduced off notes. Yeah, I do. I sort of, I do wonder about this quite a lot in terms of for for food processors and beverage, you know, beverage makers. When the consumer is demanding these things, but the reality of it is, is that salt, fat, 
sugar are all things that make our food incredibly tasty. And so then does the question become how – I'm just wondering the trajectory from that because there's going to – isn't there going to reach a point where we can't keep trying to just replicate what we've got now, that we actually are going to start almost de-addicting all of ourselves to thinking that, you know, th- this biscuit or something is going to have this sort of hit – what do you, we better bring Ali into this conversation? He's being sorely neglected. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Sorry, um, I could go like seriously. This could just be the yeah. We could talk about this for some hours. Sorry, no, I appreciate listeners. that. I appreciate that. Look, <laughs> um, I, I think to your point, when we talk about sugar as what brings pleasure and makes things sweet, if I bring the analogy, it's like we we're talking about fuel for cars, right? We talk about fuel as it is. You know, you can't run a car without fuel, but today we have electric cars. I think what we have to look at is technology. Technology is available to constantly update. How do we deliver the mission? And for us, it's sweetness. Sweetness brings pleasure, not sugar. Um, and in that way mm. as well. Is, that's, an, that's an important distinction, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. a, a, a strawberry or a raspberry will never taste without sweetness the same way it does. It'd actually be quite awful. I have tried. Um, <laughs> so it's sweetness that carries that full impression of the product that you are trying to deliver. Uh, and brings a joy and makes products palatable in some cases, yeah, in, in when you're trying to deliver nutrition. So I think we just need to think differently that there is only sugar or there is only honey. Um, certainly, I mean, we've had artificial sweeteners around for a long time and, you know, we've, we've, we've all had a diet product um, and a lot of them are good. But as to Emma's point, it's... We're more mindful about what we're putting into our body. Yeah. And we're yeah. more mindful about things that are not familiar in our cupboards, in our pantries, um, strange names. So I think that's what um, we want to make sure is we deliver that sustainable nutrition, products that are better for food, better for society, better for th- this earth, um, and just around that full equation. It's tough. Trust me, mm. but um, <laughs> I think it's that's the mission we are on. And I think certainly the the sustainability piece is really important. Um, and you know, as part of our uh, our range of solutions here, you know, that's really where we are. You know, containing plant derived materials, reducing carbon and emissions. You know, when you compare against sugar by by up to sort of thirty percent, and water usage by up to forty five percent. So it's really offering a sustainable solution using these alternatives. Yeah, I think that that's another – I think I always see that as another big challenge because the consumers are wanting to be healthier, you know, across the board. They're trying to reduce their sugar. They're trying to reduce their fat. And then they're putting on top of that as well their societal and, and environmental um, and sustainable expectations, which, of course, then end up – being, you know, that they they want to eat local and they want to, you know, eat things that have been ethically produced. And and meanwhile, a lot of those things are actually incredibly water intensive or uh, (laughs) take up a lot of land or – and so – and then they're like, I'm not putting chemicals into my body. And then when you kind of say, well, everything we eat is made up of chemicals, so I'm not, you know – yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why I was really excited to talk to you guys because, you know, 
Kerry is at the forefront of this monumental change in what food processors and beverage makers are doing around the world and trying to somehow find an equilibrium between those, um, you know, those competing in a way uh, sort of desires or expectations. (laughs) And uh, we'll just take that as a comment. Um, (laughs) So we have seen... Ali, we have seen some success, though, in terms of sugar reduction campaigns or in something like, say, the Australian Beverages Council and how it spearheaded the sugar reduction pledge with the beverage industry. So we are, there are definitely, we're definitely making inroads. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I mean, sugar is not an exclusive problem of beverages. So I have to commend the Australian Beverage Council for really taking that leadership, um, for making real Imp- uh, significant changes to the content of sugar that's available in the products that their collective I- industry and members do uh, pre- um, have in products. Um, I guess from my side, um, I'm lucky to work uh, and my team across a variety of customers who may be from the consumer packaged goods, uh, you know, if it's a beverage that's in a bottle or if it's a beverage in a can, but if it's a beverage in a glass and food service that where I have some uh, of my colleagues that work in that space as well. Mm. Mm. The one thing that I have seen over the years um, since the commitment has been made for sugar reduction um, led by the Australian Beverage Council is more options, more and more of the briefs that uh, our technical team, who I'm very lucky to have in support and the technologies that we are using, more and more of the briefs that we have are for low and no added sugar products. And then even when there are added uh, sugar products, they are. I'm seeing more and more of our customers, our partners, have clear boundaries to what that level of sugar needs to be, setting some ceiling points as well. So the impact is there. The different. The, it is uh, coming through with a lot of new products. So yeah, no, it's 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 happening. It's working. And the technology, as we were talking about, the technology is forever changing as well. We're, uh, again, another analogy, we're like the Intel inside, right? And everybody wants a new laptop, and with a new laptop, it's about that new processor. In that same way, more and more people are looking for lower sugar, better for me, products that are better than the one I bought before or something. Mm, Okay. So the technology is changing all the time around us. Where does all of this sit then when you see a a country put in place a sugar tax or someone like the Australian Medical Association calling for a sugar tax? Because I'm thinking in terms of, well, if you've got a, if you're trying to export your brand to another country or then you're going to have to completely make a whole new product, like you're going to have to have a completely different formulation. And for a relatively, uh, uh, you know, I imagine for a multinational or a global company, that's that's achievable. It's a, it could be annoying, but it's achievable. But if you're a small beverage producer with a niche product, that's that could be really, that could just write, make a whole country sort of not possible. Is that right? Or am I being melodramatic? Uh, look, I mean, 
Uh, <laughs> if, 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 you're, if you're across an opportunity like this, I would encourage the, the, those people to come and talk to us for sure. Um, <laughs> oh, I like how you did that. And, that, was, that was very and, smooth. And my phone number is, no, I'm uh, moving on. <laughs> no, look, I, 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 do, I do have colleagues, colleagues in the UK, colleagues in Germany, colleagues in Asia, in Thailand, who have experienced, and I speak to them on a regular basis, the impact of sugar tax in their countries and you know, sugar taxes um, in, in many, many countries. I think the challenge that sugar tax brings in is it brings in a rush to change formulation. Consumers' affordability, I mean, in the end of the day, people buy products that they can reach from, you know, that they can reach through what's in their wallet. Um, We are going through a real challenge from an inflation point of view. Um, And then again, if we are forcing something that quickly and forcing a reformulation to do that, the issue with that is there is none of that gradual change to the consumer palette that integrate the availability to integrate that technology in a, uh, I guess, in a time frame which can still produce the great products that we all want to have as a legacy. I mean, as food, food people, that's what we want. We want great products on mm. the shelf, right? Well, that's you're just articulating exactly what I poorly articulated earlier in terms of that 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 progress from this what we currently have to then that that slow adaptation or you know to okay well this tastes like this now i mean i guess in the end of the day the palate calibrates we've seen that in countries like sweden where their perception of sweetness with the change over time um, a gradual change of time their actual perception of sweetness of what does sweet how many bricks how many uh, grams per 100 mil and what are those ceilings has changed over time um, look australian consumers have a lower perception of sweetness than american consumers we consume about half of the amount of sugar per uh, per day on average as american consumers we consume you know still significantly less than in the uk so it, we're getting there, but we are still quite a significant amount above the World Health Organization, and we need to continue uh, recommendation, and we need to continue this progress. So, looking, look, let's sort of shift, I guess, from that looking at reformulations to then looking at the whole sphere of, say, a functional beverage. So, I would say that at Food and Drink Business, we would probably get a, a new release almost every day of a new functional beverage. It's astounding is that market you know is that just reflecting just the size and the scale and the dynamism of this of this part of the sector absolutely look it's uh, i would say in the in the years that i have seen in the last two years it's absolutely blown up um could it be due due to obviously the impact of covid you know we're more thinking about how healthy we're living and our own immunity, but sometimes our own mental well-being as well. Um, to, to part, I think it's also a rejection of um, certain pill-popping behavior and such. Uh, and it's about, you know, what I eat and what I drink is who I am and what makes me. And we, in Kerry, we talk to our customers about the end consumer, the consumer that wants it all. They want it. They want (laughs) it to be low sugar. They want it to taste. Oh, no, sorry. First and foremost, they want it to taste (laughs) good. 
Yes. Right? Because in the end of the day, yeah, yeah that's the rule. That's the rule. People don't. People may buy it once. They know they don't buy it twice if it didn't taste good the the first time. So it has to taste good. It has. They want it to be lower in sugar. They want it to be higher in protein potentially as an option. They want it to have a physiolo. It impacts physiologically on my immunity or my gut health or my well my mental well being. Um, mm. And in absolutely the fact that we see that we see in when we see products launch, but also in the consumer research, they don't want to pay more for sugar reduction. (laughs) They are on the other side willing to pay more for the functional benefits. Okay, Uh, so lucky we've got that on our hand uh, to to Mm. to play, because so um, absolutely. Now adding all these functional ingredients brings challenges in itself. Not all of them taste great. (laughs) <laughs> all right. Some are bitter. Some are uh, bring odd and uh, uh, interesting mouthfeel. Some smell. So again, yeah. <laughs> it's about bringing that technology to allow the beneficial, scientifically uh, validated dosage to the consumer that they need to actually make a difference. Well, that's the key, isn't it? I think is that to be a functional beverage, it does actually have to have particular amounts in it to make it hit that therapeutic, you know, effective amount. Yeah, right. So, and so, Emma, how do you do, how how does that work in terms of ensuring that your clients are, are, are doing that and or doing the right thing? Yeah. So, when we're, when we're using nutritional um, ingredients, um, certainly the efficacy of the products is extremely important. So, if they are using some of our branded um, you know, speciality ingredients uh, such as like our probiotics uh, or our immune supporting ingredients, we have to um, actually test and um, ensure the efficacy um, of the of their of their finished good. Um, so we actually do test that before we endorse it with our brand, uh, etc. So. And obviously, all of that is backed by plenty of clinical studies. And that's the key, right, is that we can see consumers um, physiologically change through the consumption so that we can um, make sure that um, the claims are valid. And as Emma said, that the correct level of addition has been put into those final products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are, uh, what are some... Are there some flavors or some particular particular functional um, ingredients that are just white hot at the moment? Uh, for me, uh, the one that a lot of my customers, especially in the beverage space, space talk to, is um, proteins and uh, so plant protein and the addition of plant protein. That has, I, I think, that's been an aspiration for a long time. There's just been also the challenge of taste that comes with that, and I have to say it's improved significantly. Um, right. But the other one is absolutely okay. around immunity. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Emma is nodding. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> For me, it was going to be immunity. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And so, talk talk to that a bit. Is it is that really just sort of the result of COVID, or were you seeing that even before COVID hit? We were seeing we were seeing it before COVID, and we had our ingredients ready before COVID. But I think that's just heightened the awareness of you know people wanting to to sort of maintain that sort of health level. So um, certainly. Um, you know, they've they've certainly uh, moved further forward, um, and you know we've um, gone forward with uh, 
general level health claims that we can actually make in this space now, um, you know, to, to support that immune uh, health perspective. Yeah. I think um, one of the things, and this is for me more as the uh, consumer than an editor, the, those ingredients, the functional ingredients, and then you see them across the board. So they might be in a beverage or they might be like in a, in a, a bread mix or they might be in a cereal or there. So are they coming from the, is it the same functional ingredient that, and that that ingredient can deal with heat and going through other processes or are there different forms of it for different uses? Look, it probably is from an editor, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if a consumer would think like that. <laughs> Certainly, the, Kim, the, the food processing, you know, is really important to, to understand, you know, the survivability through through different processes. And, and I guess each individual ingredient can have its challenges. Um, so um, if you're looking at the, the probiotic BC30, for example, um, you know, you, you have to have a chilled um, environment if it's in a liquid beverage. Um, however, it can be shelf-stable in its powder format. Uh, so on an ambient product in a powder environment, that's that's fine. And it's really about, you know, we have to work with our customers to ensure that we give the, the right product for the right end application. And that's really where we work together to do that. It must be fascinating to work on taste and flavour when it's just such a di- – I mean, food and beverage is dynamic anyway – and taste and flavour is the cornerstone. So tell me a bit more about the team in Australia. Like I know that there's been a couple of major investments and a new innovation hub and those sorts of things. So is it a big team or what's the dynamic? Certainly, Kim. Um, Look, at Kerry, our purpose is actually to inspire food and nourish life and, and that's evident in our people, our products, um, and our commitments to sort of to protecting the planet and improving lives. And, you know, we are a globally connected company, but importantly, we are locally led. That, and that allows us to bring the benefits of our global technologies to local food and beverage producers. And we leverage all the Kerry R&D network around the world, um, as well as sort of our global insights, our market knowledge, the culinary and application expertise to customize solutions um, that resonate with the local market here. And in recent years, we've made significant investments in that taste area. So in 2017, uh, Kerry acquired the Tastemaster flavour business in South Australia, followed by the Muskvale business in Victoria in 2018. And these two key taste acquisitions have established Kerry as a leader in the taste and nutrition space through our local manufacturing footprint. So that's really important that we have that footprint here in Australia to deliver to, to our customers. Um, and then back in uh, May 2021, we had the opening of our Kerry uh, ANZ Development and Application Centre in Brisbane that you're referring to. And that just gave us gives us fantastic facilities, you know, pilot plants, sensory capability and multiple laboratories across the sort of the meat, sweet beverage and culinary source uh, segment. Can I ask, do those um, labs have those little sensory booths where you sit people? Yes, we do. We <gasps> we do indeed. We have red and red and blue lights. Um, you know, oh, to cover. I want to come in and do that. I need to. I need to come in and do that. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, what do you love about your job? What's the best thing about your job? <laughs> what do I love about my job? Oh, it's a great question. Look, easily is um, I've got two daughters. 
and my nirvana is walking into the supermarket and pointing at a at a uh, at a product that I've helped launch with a customer of mine and picking that together and putting it through the till and um, and actually getting to enjoy it uh, in times uh, my eldest daughter is now 16 she's actually even had her fingerprints on some of those products developed I've done internal consumer research uh, <laughs> <laughs> but look I have four sons who would be very willing to be a part yeah, of that. No, absolutely. Look, <laughs> I, I, and being prompted by that, actually, I'd love to tell you a story that I do really feel quite proud of in terms of what we were able to do. Because as I said, there we are on a mission at Kerry to deliver sustainable nutrition. Um, and it is, it's about as simple as better for people, better for society, better for planets. And there's been a customer who I've worked with for a number of years, not a very large customer. But the beauty of this customer is they they make juice and they make this lemonade where the lemons are literally three meters away, the, the plantation, three meters away from the juicer. That's how good it is, right? So you can see all the lemon trees, the juice goes in, the, the lemons go one side, comes out the other side. And the only things that they brought into this plant that they couldn't grow on on their own plantation and their own farm is obviously the, the packaging, that plastics that has to come in, right? Uh, a bit hard to replace just yet in holding a container. Um, but the second thing is sugar. And in a couple of years ago, using our taste sense technology, we were able to totally remove that sugar out of the lemonade. The product tasted exactly the same. It became more nutritious. It removed, in fact, one of the safety issues in there because they were cutting bags of sugar. It wasn't a large operation where you would place a silo. So they were cutting bags of sugar into uh, the tank where now they can put in a product that is one-fifth the volume of what they were putting in um, and doing it much more sustainably, knowing that the carbon footprint of a sweetness modulator technology like that is much smaller than sugar. So, you know, it's, it's seeing things like that actually launch and it is the same product being renovated. So the seeing that consumers totally not noticing that and it, it's, it's what I love. I think that's, that's great that you, it does make me feel proud. Yeah. Well, that's just, you guys are tops. Uh, we're going to see you at Food Pro in a couple of weeks at the end of July. Certainly are. You guys going to, mm -hmm. um, is the Kerry stand going to be there? Yes. Come and try all oh. those technologies we've been telling yes. you about, all right? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. It. Yes, that's right. Grant, Lindy, uh, my publisher and the editor of PK and Packaging News, who will also be with food and drink business at Food Pro, <laughs> she will be she'll be at you just going, where's Kim? Where's Kim? <laughs> don't, don't worry, we'll have already briefed her. Found the yeah. Kerry stand. I did actually, uh, I was talking to another ingredients company today and um, – they're, they were telling me about their stand and I, I may well just set up a camp there. So it's going to, you know, it's just that whole sort of ingredients sort of section. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just hang around there. <laughs> um, thank you both. It gave us some real insights into what it's like within, you know, a company of the size and scale of Kerry. And I think sometimes it's easy to think they're those big juggernauts that, uh, you know, sort of like a, I don't know what, um, and 
it's lovely to sort of see the people and hear the people who are within it and passionate about what they do and, and the challenges that they help their, you know, customers um, solve. So thank you so much. It's um, been fantastic. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Kim. Well, thanks, Emma and Ali. Thanks, Kim. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can like us on iTunes or your favourite podcatcher, as this helps others discover our show. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day and, yeah, see you at Food Pro real soon now. Yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> you've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of food and drink business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.